Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of the Mouse Life Podcast. This week, we have a special treat for you. We are joined by Kevin Perjurer of the Defunct Land YouTube channel to talk about his new book, Defunct Land Guide to the Magic Kingdom. We're diving deep into the Magic Kingdom attractions that used to be and what theme parks attractions and losing them mean to our artistic culture. But before we meet Kevin, let's hear from our sponsor. Vacation with the Magic by Shelby, specializing in Disney destinations, including Walt Disney World and Disney Cruise Line. Let me plan your perfect Disney vacation so you can make magical memories with your family. Come discover all the magic that awaits you at a Disney destination. Email Vacation with the Magic by Shelby at shelby.frick at vacationwiththemagic.com today. That's S-H-E-L-B-Y dot F-R-I-C-K at vacationwiththemagic.com. Tonight, we welcome Kevin Perjurer, author of the upcoming book, Defunct Land, Guide to the Magic Kingdom. The book looks at attractions in the Magic Kingdom that are no more, but it does so in a unique way. Kevin, first, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I thought rather than try to explain how you've laid out Defunct Land, I thought I'd let you do it because it's... And that was one of the most impressive things to me about the book is it's 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 not just a listing of closed attractions. Do you want to try sure. to explain how you've laid this out? Yeah, um, the the book itself. I mean, of course, uh, I guess I can introduce myself in case the audience doesn't know who I am. I'm my name is Kevin Perger. I uh, am the creator of the YouTube series Defunct Land. I also have a podcast, and now I have a book. Um, and on my YouTube series, the main series we have on there um, is on defunct theme park attractions and themed entertainment experiences. Um, so for season, we're on season two right now. Um, season two, we, we do things such as we just did an episode on uh, the Nickelodeon Studios Hotel in Orlando. Um, we've done episodes on a bunch of Disney stuff, a bunch of Universal stuff, uh, lots of regional theme parks, pretty much anything that isn't there anymore uh, I give history on. Um, and I do those in short documentary form, um, usually around 16 to 20 minutes. And so uh, when I went to write the book, I took that idea and then combined it um, with a uh, with the you know Disney guidebook. And so it's a hybrid of my YouTube series, um, my own personal feelings on the park, uh, the Magic Kingdom specifically, and the Walt Disney World Resort, just that just that park, and then all of its history. And so um, the format of the book is I'm taking you through the park. Um, I, I introduce myself to you and then I take you on this uh, kind of adventure is what I call it. I say your vacation should be an adventure. And so I take you through each stop in the Magic Kingdom um, and tell you about everything that used to be there, tell you about what's there now and how I feel about it and what we're going to do next. And then it uh, it just goes on and on. <laughs> I, I, one of the things I like, we're headed down in September. And one of the things I liked was how you point out how you can find either references to or even pieces of some of the older attractions in the attractions that are there now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, I, that's a large part of the book as far as the current attractions part, because the book is separated and it's, we have defunct land files for the old attractions. And then I just have, you know, normal, uh, tab, not tabs, normal, uh, normal sections for the present attractions. Um, and those present attractions, usually I try to point out. So, for instance, uh, Winnie the Pooh, which used to be Mr. Toad at the Magic Kingdom, um, has a ton of old stuff in it. 
um, a set of old references, um, especially as you're walking in, there's something by the queue, and there's two references in the ride itself, and then on Space Mountain over in Tomorrowland, there's a bunch of references to past attractions. And space Nothing was there before Space Mountain. Um, they just have a bunch of references. And so I just, there's a lot of references to old rides. I probably missed a few, um, but there's a lot of them in the book. So It seems, It's almost like the Hidden Mickey. Yeah, phenomenon. it's uh, there's stuff that you have to know it's there to see it, especially the one in Space Mountain. It'll be easy to find now that I know it's there. I think uh, it's still a little bit difficult because you, you're you get you get pushed onto the uh, if you're talking about the one on the control panel. Yes, um, that one you're going to get pushed onto the moving walkway, and if you get pushed on too soon, it's going to be very hard to find. I believe it's on the bottom uh, bottom panel to the left, and there's all these codes um, about you know what used to be there. And so, yeah, if you, you'll just have to stop, and if people push into you, you just got to push them back and tell them to go into the walkway. You're trying to find a your own defunct land version of a hidden Mickey. <laughs> Don't you know I'm looking for defunct land here? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, people, go around me. <laughs> In this very short walkway by the luggage, and <laughs> it's well, and and you provided us a um, sort of an advanced copy of, of the book so that we could read it and talk to you about it tonight. And it's coming out in November, you said, I think. Yeah. Right? So, so okay. for the crowdfunding, if, if they pre-ordered the book, they're going to get it. Some people are going to get it in September. And then for the majority of people, it'll be out on Amazon in November. Well, it was a great read. Um, you know, you, it was light and fun, which Disney should be. And I love some of your opinions. I have to say, like, like one of my favorite lines here, hold on, I wrote down, when you say, you call Flight of Passage Pandoran. That's great. It's like Soren, but. <laughs> yeah, Soren, Pandoran. So, I love it. I love it. So I, Thank mean, you. I love sort of your turns of phrases and I think it's really well written and it was, it was a fun read. And I also wanted to ask you about the artwork. Who did the artwork? Cause I think that was really fun too. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, the chapter and cover art was done by Ingram Jenkins. And uh, Ingram is a um, is a great artist. Uh, they are um, the brother. The their their brother is Heath Jenkins, who actually does a lot of research and helps me edit videos. He's taken over Defunct TV, and I write and narrate that. And I have a spinoff series called Defunct TV, and he does that, um, and he edits that, I should say. And then on, but Ingram is a brilliant artist, and they they just they're they they did the cartoon style big mm-hmm. big pictures and uh they're so great to work with and they are really really beautiful um and then andrew benny did the interior art um andrew's really great too and those illustrations are uh, a little bit more realistic and uh, technical as far as like the animatronics go and some of those bigger ones are just you know gorgeous so yeah i'm glad i'm glad you liked them yeah, those were great too. The in, the the internal ones, as you say, that sort of the take on the actual attraction, like the ride vehicles or, you know, animatronics from the attractions themselves. Those were great. But yeah, the 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 cartoon pieces, they're, they were a lot of fun, and I loved how it sort of it, it kept the thread going, you know, throughout like each chapter. Like you'd add different um, animatronics and different characters, you know defunct characters like skippy i love the skippy was there through the whole thing you know i first i was like what is that and then i realized oh wait that's skippy so yeah yeah, it was a lot of fun throughout that entire you know artwork process i I kept telling ingram make skippy more cute make make him more adorable (laughs) make him uh make his eyes bigger make make his make him do funny things like in um, the frontierland chapter you don't meet anyone new in frontierland because the only thing that is defunct in frontierland um are uh boats and so, uh, and some, <laughs> right. and some really small attractions. Um, and same with Liberty Square. Uh, so I, 
in that one, you know, they're all they're, the old old animatronics are uh, having a Western showdown with the new animat or the current animatronics. Yeah, um, with like the country bears. I yeah, the country yeah. bear and the Muppets and uh, yeah, yeah, Kermit from Liberty yeah, Square, yeah. and then Skippy has a has a pistol and accidentally shot into the air and almost hit a uh, timekeeper, sir, I believe. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so really great personalities with all those characters. Uh, the way the way they drew it is just beautiful, and uh, you can totally tell like which each how each character interacts with one another. And it's just a picture. And it's like, I don't even really reference it in the book of like what's going on in the picture. So like the picture tells their own story, which is just a really a testament to Ingram's talent. So, yeah, that really, that really stuck out. One thing I wanted to ask you how many, cause and I guess it's a testament to your writing of this book. I couldn't tell how many of these attractions have you personally experienced? Um, I mean, not, not a major, I don't know. It's hard to say a lot of these attractions, our Main Street USA attraction. Like, if you actually looked at the number of attractions, um, like, Main Street USA has probably the most extinct attraction. I even say in the book, uh, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to name all the old Main Street USA stuff. Um, but I have been able to, whether I've done it myself or whether I've done online research, I have a good understanding of all these attractions. Like, here's one that I haven't, I'll tell you one that I haven't done is the Walt Disney Story. I didn't even know that existed. Um and so just to know about, find out about Hoot Gibson, the animatronic owl that's behind the, what used to, what is now the, uh, town hall or Mickey, the Mickey Mean Greet, like that was the most surprising to me. Um, mm-hmm. just to find out that, that even existed there. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've, you know, of course been to Magic Kingdom many times. I've, there's also like a day plan in the book. Um, and I've done that, uh, multiple times to test it to see if you can do it. And you can. So, so you can actually do it just like you did in the book. Yes, to a, to a point. Plan. But yeah, to that's a point. Funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to a point. But all right, so <laughs> I guess I guess here's what I'm getting at. I, I'm old enough to have, and Kathy as well, and mm-hmm. Jen too. I think we've been on most of. <laughs> did it, he just so. say we're old? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> he did. You, were, were you yeah, ever he just on said the, I was the baby. It's fine. <laughs> were you ever on Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea? For instance, <gasps> I yes. was there. Yes, I never, I never rode Twenty Thousand Leagues. That was the best. I, th- I might have I might have been around while it was I don't think I wrote it though I think I I remember I would have remembered writing that but then again I no I don't, I don't think so because I I'm thinking back to and I just remember being realizing how claustrophobic I was when I rode uh, Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage at Disneyland for the first time so that was definitely the first time I experienced that okay <laughs> yeah it's, but it's a uh, that it's a great ride when we get. I guess of a generation. It's funny to me how the the Disney community always looks at classic Disney as their personal nostalgia. So I don't. I, I when I think of things that have closed, the first things I think of are Twenty Thousand Legs and Mr. Toad and the Skyway. And like I don't. I don't get emotional. Like Great Movie Ride didn't bother me one tiny bit because I don't consider Hollywood Studios is like one of the new parks as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And so it's, it was just funny to see the, uh, you wrote it as if you were, had been on all this stuff. I couldn't tell if you had or not. It was, well, that's the idea. Enough. I usually yeah. don't give out whether I've been on a certain attraction or not, um, like in any, in any form, because I'm supposed to be a general, like I've done everything. I've lived forever. I've been yeah, on all these yeah. things. Yeah, the just, narrator just, is like that. It's great. I was going to say, yeah, you're the omniscient narrator. Yeah, yeah. right, it exactly. Really and, well. and, and everything I do. So like, I really don't have conversations too often about like, have you been on this ride? Because I, I can tell you everything about the ride yeah. more than the people that wrote it. 
Um, yeah. But I might not have ridden that specific ride. I mean, some rides uh, were before my time. I mean, I'm doing research on, like, Coney Island in the early 1900s, and I'm not 100 years old. Exactly. Um, so it's just, like, stuff like that is uh, – you know, I, I live in a, I live in whatever, wherever my research is at the moment. So right now I'm in 2005 with Nickelodeon Studios, and I, I should say I'm now in their late 1990s with Disney Quest. But uh, and also, oh, wow. even if I, even if I was around, like I, I grew up in Kansas City, so even if I was like alive during the dirt, like even if I could have gone, I wasn't going because I didn't grow up near the parks. Yeah. Um, I grew up near Worlds of Fun, which. Hey. I was gonna say Samantha, where are you? I was trying to, I was trying to, um, unmute myself. Un- I'm in the city. So I'm, I grew up in Lee Summit, but we oh, yeah. bought a house in Blue Springs, so just a little bit south of where you guys, where you grew up, but hey, that's cool. Yep, all those, all those words are familiar to me. Yeah, I'm closer to the Florida parks now, but I mean, worlds of fun. Uh, you couldn't pay me to write a book on that. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we were just there last week with the kids. Yeah. It's It's a little uh, different. (laughs) Well, I tell people, I'm like, you know, everyone's like, worlds of fun, worlds of fun. I'm like, when you go to Disney as often as I do, and you know, I'm very blessed to do that, but worlds of fun is, it's fun for the kids and they love it. And that's why we go. Like you couldn't, pay me to go just me and my boyfriend like it's horrible it's bad yeah it's uh it's a uh it's yeah it's worlds of fun so i don't know (laughs) death trap i I, I haven't been in a long time and i I actually i know that's i guess a long time isn't a long time because i actually went um about two years ago and it was not yeah it was similar experience no not good Okay. So where do you reside now? Um, I, I'm a, I'm near, I'm about three hours from Orlando and that's okay. a, so I'm, I'm in Florida. Um, okay. and I, and I travel down to the parks every now and then I'm definitely not a, uh, I'm looking to get an annual pass for economical reasons, but I'm not your typical annual pass holder because I'm not that not a weekend loyal. warrior. Right. I'm not, I'm not that loyal to Disney. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, like I, Disney just ha, like, I, what I do is, you know, I do all theme parks, um, theme parks. even the worlds of fun. Um, and so, uh, Disney just happens to be the McDonald's, like if I was doing fast food, I use this option. I was like, if I was doing fast food, I, most of my videos would be about McDonald's because they drive that industry. Um, but that doesn't mean that like I, my favorite's McDonald's. I, some Disney parks are my favorite parks, but you know, I'm, I definitely, <laughs> as you read, uh, am not, you know, 100% praising everything they've done or do. And, and that makes sense. I mean, not everything that, that any company or any, anyone does is 100% praiseworthy. You know, I think even, even we as fans, we look at the good things and the bad things and we try, we try to, you know, point out, you know, things that we disagree with as well. I'm also in Florida, by the way. I'm in Tampa. So I, and I oh, am so one right of those there. weekend warriors. Yeah. I grew up an hour away. So yeah, I've, I've been, Disney's been my whole life. And in fact, I, you, I, there's a fact that I didn't know that you, in the book where you said how the, um, in, um, Cosmic Rays, how the stage lifts up that like mm-hmm. it was made to, for the group to come out, musical act to come out. Now I remember that from my grad night and emotion was there at my grad mm-hmm. night. And they I remember them lifting out of the stage. But what I didn't know is that they still have the capacity to do that, to lift sunny eclipse into the ceiling. And bring somebody yeah. up from underneath. That's incredible. Yeah. 
I had yeah. no idea of that. I just thought that that didn't that didn't do that anymore. That they couldn't bring in a, a musical act up from the floor like they like they had. So you know, there's a there's a little like spot if you if you're walking by that restaurant and you look up there's a there's kind of a a little dome that you like can't really mm-hmm. see into. Um, but that was made specifically. I don't know if it was made specifically or if it's just coincidentally. But yeah, he go he sits in that little dome. So he like the stage goes all the way up to the roof. But there's a little circular dome that he sits in while the band is performing below him, and that happens very rarely. Yeah, I don't think it's happened. Like I can't remember it happening. You know, any time in the last 20 years. But I, what that that was amazing. I was like, wait a minute, because I remember seeing a band come out of the floor. And then I thought, well, I guess that doesn't happen anymore. And it really doesn't often, I suppose, as you say. Yeah, I'm sure. I I, I don't know how often it happens anymore. I'd have to I'd have to ask some cast members. Yeah. So you do definitely have some opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorite things was the seven stages of grief of writing It's a Small World. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was a lot of fun. So you're you. not a fan, not a fan. No, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I go by the mantra, don't close anything, leave everything always, except for it's small world, I guess. Um, and some, <laughs> and some other attractions. But no, I, that, that ride's terrible. It's so bad. And I, and I, the Disneyland version is so much better. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I rode the Disneyland version. I'm still like, mm. <laughs> You can live without that one too. It's yeah. still that so song. Cool. Yeah. I go to Disneyland on Friday, so I'll I can compare the two. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so we'll it's really long. It's a long ride. It is a very long ride. Um, yeah, so it's just you know I it's a small world. Just wasn't my favorite, um, and it's just a, it takes up so much space in Fantasyland, um, and for because it's not the original, then it's like you know you, know, you might as well you know use the space. Not that you know Magic Kingdom is a is space like it needs the space because you know they can just expand wherever. Yeah. Uh, but they uh that that would definitely be the, my pick if anything well, had to get. It's definitely in that that area is a choke point. So between that that area right there between it's a small world and Peter Pan. And Peter Pan, yeah. Right. Is is a choke point. So yeah, I mean if, I mean, if they if they redid it or something, it might it might help. I think opening it up once they got rid of the, the Skyway station there, and they put the Rapunzel restrooms and they opened that up to um, so you can get around to Liberty Square from there. That helped a little bit because it used to just be a dead end. And I do remember the Skyway station that was there too. Yeah, it's like it's just a wall just stopped. Yeah, it just stopped. <laughs> it was just a dead yeah. end. It's a, it's a, yeah, that, that is, it's so much different at Disneyland. And I, and I, a lot of times in the books, I'll, in the book, I will compare Magic Kingdom to Disneyland. Um, and Mad, and going to Disneyland, Disneyland, you know, it, it needs to use, needs to put a lot more in such, in a lot less space, but it really doesn't. You know, it's, there, I mean, it does and it doesn't. It's just that there's so much space at Disneyland. It's so open. Like Frontierland is like a frontier. Like it's open. Um, the, uh, even Fantasyland, it's, everything is so low hanging that it's just the, the perspective is completely different than when you have Cinderella Castle, you know, peeking over everything and then, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, directing your eye line and everything is just so much different. It's, it feels so much smaller and weird. Um, but, cause I, cause I go to the Magic Kingdom way more. And so going to Disneyland, I'm like, yeah, I mean, and another reason I wrote the book on Magic Kingdom is because, I I love the Magic Kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. I think the history is one a lot more obtainable for the, a first time author. 
Um, and also Disneyland's history. Yeah, it's more. It's kind of boring, in my opinion. It's a uh, there's there's I I my the peak of my like interest will be 1994 Tomorrowland in Magic Kingdom. That's mm. super cool and weird. And how did that happen? And there's so much stuff going wrong, uh, like uh, wrong and around it and along with it. And then there's like the pack mules at Disneyland. And it's like, okay, I mean, they needed something there. They brought in pack mules. And like, that's the end of the story. Like we, I did a top 10 opening day Disneyland attractions video and we were like struggling to fill like a minute or two per attraction. So it's just like, uh, you know, it's a lot of those smaller experiences that they had in those opening years. Sure. They like Disneyland for history has a, uh, has a 16 year head start on magic kingdom, but what was really going on in those 16 years? You know, I was glad to see that you couldn't figure out why people spend so much time and effort to get on Peter Pan too. That's always confused <laughs> yeah. me. I've never understood. I will not write Peter Pan without a fast pass. Like I won't do it. Not with kids, not by myself. It doesn't happen. <laughs> Well, Kevin tells you not even to waste a fast pass on it, Sam. <laughs> well, I mean, there are other people that, other than me, that you know oh, I yeah. travel with. So sometimes they're like, "I have to ride Peter Pan," and I'm like, "I do okay. like Peter Pan." I will say another area that I think I agree with you. If I read you right, is the puns, and I, I'm sorry, I know people love it, but the puns on Jungle Cruise make me cringe. I swear. Oh, I love. I hear one more time about the freaking falls. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, it's 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 whatever. Um, it's you know what you're getting into. Yes. Um, but it's it just that ride relies so heavily on that. When I think it could be a lot different and more exciting. Um, but then again, that I mean, the Jungle Cruise created a genre of theme park rides of literally doing the exact same thing across the world. Um, and, and just, but that doesn't mean that it should still be there. Um, like, no, I think the, the jungle cruise should stay, but I think there, there's mm-hmm. just so many more interesting things to do. I mean, you're, you're doing a jungle, you're doing a cruise throughout what, three different continents and mm-hmm. it it's should a be, joke. it's just a big joke. Yeah. It should be a yeah. lot more exciting. Than it's that. a big yeah. dad joke. <laughs> A big yeah. dad joke, yeah. As a dad, I think that's great, but <laughs> I can understand. Well, well, just wait till the movie comes out and they they do the big uh, the big rock animatronics in there. Yeah. Well, there is a a message to this that I think um, just uh, we can get into. I think before before we venture into the spoiler section, but but one of the things that I wanted to sort of get your take on. Um, is the idea that that change is even though we diehard fans don't always like it that change is good and change and one of your lines was um the mere pursuit is progress even if the result isn't perfect well that's a hmm, let me think uh that is we we'll have to get into spoilers if we're going to talk about that cuz i uh, don't yeah. say that no, and you don't. The, well, yeah, so, you don't. Yeah, so yeah, so we want we'd have to we have to do a spoiler. <laughs> okay, if you want we'll to do that with that. the spoiler. Yeah. Okay, well, there's well, there's more about change that how how I mean you can talk about yeah, it I, sort of generally that right, yeah can, that, that there the, that. the change is always going to happen. Yeah, and, and how uh, that works. And yeah, this is, I mean I can really talk about this once we get into spoilers. Um, but okay. you know I uh, I can talk about generally. I mean one of yeah. the big struggles throughout the book is uh, dealing with change and the temper and how temporary. Uh, theme parks are because I I treat theme parks on the same level as movies as music I mean these big art I mean these live entertainment pieces that are so 
different and they, they combine so many different art forms. Um, it's like, you know, movies are said to be the true, like the final art form, um, because they, they combine all of the others, artwork, music, um, illustrations, like everything is, is combined into film. Um, and that's not necessarily true because you can take film and then put it in a 3D space and then combine it with live, uh, performances, live animatronics and all these other things. And then there's another art form after that. And that is, I think the final is a, you're living, you're, it's 3D, you're not just 3D, like, you know, like Remote. avatar, like, yeah, it's, you're in there in person and it's you're existing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's the last, it's the last step in art. And then this art form isn't one, not treated like an art form. Two is, is shrugged off as being, uh, you know, it's for kids, which it's, it's completely not. No. Um, like it's a small world is for kids. Um, but everything else is not. <laughs> um, it's just the, the idea that, and even a small, it's a small, small world, which I hate had a revolutionary art style like that has been copied and reproduced. Mm-hmm. And now entire artists are all, and whether they know it or not, entire artists are using the same, I forget the Imagineer's name, but she's a genius. Mary Blair. I'm, yes. Mary Blair's art style, um, which probably most popular for its use in It's a Small World, is now being used by graphic designers and artists. And whether mm-hmm. they know it or not, it came from this one thing. You from know, a theme park. A kid's from a ride theme park. in a theme park. Right. Exactly. In a theme park. But yeah. that was such a, I mean, like, it's like a children's book came to life and it dev- not only defined that kind of style, it defined like children's books and what they look like. I mean, it's just so many different things from that one ride that I actually don't like that much. So with the rides, I do like that a lot. It's just that this thing is so temporary because you can never experience it again. You can always replay a movie. You can always listen to music after it's, after the band is long, like, the Beatles is long mm-hmm. defunct, but you can still listen to every Beatles song. Like there's not mm-hmm. a, maybe, maybe there's like a unheard version of some song. I don't know, but most of all of the Beatles music, if not all, um, you can listen to. And that's with any band, any movie you can rewatch, um, even Song of the South you can find. Um, so it's, you can always do these things, but theme parks you can never experience in the way that you were supposed to. And that it will always be, um, like that and mm-hmm. live Broadway theater. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. with, with the original cast, because you can always replay it with anybody, but like, you'll never probably see Hamilton with Lynn Manuel and David Diggs and all of the original cast again. Um, unless they do that fundraiser they've been talking about, but I digress. So point being is that someday that will become defunct the same way that this is becoming defunct. And the idea of the book is you have to deal with, um, is that okay? Um, what is change progress if it, destroys at the same time if it destroys something beautiful and replaces it with something less than beautiful is that actually progress even though it's change and you're changing things um and so that's that's a that's a topic that's dealt through um largely towards the end of the book but it's present throughout and it's present throughout my series too just like what is change and how do we deal with it kind of thing we're going to pause here to issue a bit of a warning Defunct Land is part guidebook, or guidebook parody, really, and part work of fiction. The last few chapters go off in a direction that may surprise you. If you'd like to be surprised, hold off on listening to this next portion of the interview until after you've read Kevin's book. It will be shipping to his crowdfunding backers next month and will be available on Amazon in November. If you don't mind a few spoilers, then by all means, stay tuned. All right, so talk to us about the end of the book. Because that really caught Kathy and I both off guard. <laughs> Did anyone see it coming? No. No. <laughs> no. Okay, no. that would have been weird. No. Um, 
I mean, you gave you you did give hints with you know grow your hair and the and the things you said to bring in the bag and that sort of thing. I got you so know. wrapped up in everything else that I completely forgot I forgot that about until that until you mentioned yes. it again. And then I was yes. like, oh yeah, I was supposed oh, yeah. to grow my hair out <laughs> and yeah. the blueprints and the yeah all yeah. this you know. And uh, and, and some and some of that was because I when we were drawing the art, you know, the it's not me, you know, the, the art is not. Uh, the, the person in the sunflower shirt and then the, uh, the that's supposed to be the, the right it's the yeah. reader it's that's the, the reader. reader yeah and yeah, yeah i at first i thought it was i thought that was supposed to be you initially and then it occurred to me that yeah as i'm reading that last part i'm like oh <laughs> and i enjoyed it because that very much could be me yeah, yeah that's and a that's... lot like what i look like when i'm down there so it's pretty close <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i tell you what to wear and i tell you to grow your hair out and so the only thing other than you you think like, oh, that's not my build. The only thing is your hair color. And so we try to get – like we spent a long time, Ingram and I, trying to decide, okay, if we are going to make someone for any race, any gender, we're going to have to make the skin tone medium. We're going to have to make you know the hair. We're going to grow it out because it's part of the book. So you won't see the face at all, so that's not going to mm-hmm. be a problem. you know. And so mm-hmm. that was also really a, a hard decision to make. But other than that, a lot of the setups at the beginning of the book and throughout, I tell you at one point, you know, look for the – Look out for the Disney cops. Um, I ask you when we get to the timekeeper. You know, like would you would you do anything to save the, him? Yeah, those, those kind of things are throughout. Um, and so there's a couple every chapter of hints. And then by Adventureland, I basically just say, hey, we're doing one more thing after this, and it's very ominous. Um, and then we break out. And so when I was, uh, you know, I'm writing this, and I and I know that I can't just end it with like, okay, that was Adventureland. Uh, have a good day. <laughs> um, like uh, to me that I mean that's what a guidebook does, um, and this is a largely a parody of guidebooks. Um, yeah. But the uh, but I couldn't just do that um, because it's not technically not a guide. You know, there's more to it. There's there's t- too much to just like l- let it go at the end. Um, and so I wanted this big climactic. You know, this chapter seven is a chase through the Magic Kingdom, ending in you being put into chapter eight, which is prison, which is Orange County Jail. Um, and then, uh, you, Michael Eisner comes and talks to you and then, yeah, so it's this, it's a big, wild, crazy thing all told in second person, which is extremely difficult, yes, uh, it is. but, uh, but I think it ended up being okay. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun and yeah, I did not at all expect escape from the magic kingdom to be the, the way this book ends. Um, yeah, because it was, it was sort of factual and, and, and fun and parody, but then but then, yeah, it turned into an adventure like this whole I mean, I literally I mean, I started my, my reading was speeding up because I was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening next? Well, so, I enjoyed um, how the adventure part turned back into and, and this is just personally for me, because I've said this a couple times on the podcast. It turned into what we were talking about earlier about how theme parks ha- are catering to more than the fraction of a percent that are us yes. that are, you know. People who love Disney enough to do a podcast about it and right. people who tweet about it all day long. And I, I, it's one of the things that frustrates me about that community is that we don't realize how tiny a community we are and that we get to, we get to appreciate and enjoy Disney World because it caters to a mass of people who aren't as into it as we are. It's got to be a mass marketed product or it wouldn't exist. And that was really neat to see you say that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, and so the ending, I mean, we, we can talk about chapter seven first if you want to, like, organize it at all, because I, I can, 
it'll be easier for me to map it out that way. Um, if you have any questions on Chapter 7, it's that. Uh, well, I will say that one of the reasons for that end chase was, I, well, I was like, oh, I'm going to take you through a tour of the Magic Kingdom. Uh, it's the only Disney park to have Utilidors besides Epcot's, mm-hmm. which are half caved in. Um, and so I was like, well, I wanted to take you through the Utilidors, but how do I do that without yeah. you, know, you, you, you breaking in? Why would you go down there? And so I, I created the story around that. Then you do all these crazy things while you're down there. But, uh, and then, but I also, you know, that map of the Utilidors is accurate. You can find that online. Um, I talked, I had like a think tank of Magic Kingdom and cast members being like, if I did this, is this going to work? Can I go here? Is there actually a passageway? What costumes are still there? Wow. Uh, you know, all those, all those things yeah. are, are accurate. Don't it do is. It, but, so you researched but, all but you that. you could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's accurate. You could oh, do it. That's up, cool. up to a, up to a point, the only thing that isn't true is there's probably not an Indiana Jones warehouse full of all <laughs> the old stuff. There could be, but probably not. Um, but like the stuff about like the the Max Max's head being underneath um, underneath the haunted mansion, haunted mansion. Like that's that's a that's a real picture. That's actually yeah, that was there. a photo. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. I've heard rumors there's also a backup Yeti head down there. Like they made <laughs> two Yetis, and then there's a. There's a back Throwing head. Throwing him in the haunted mansion. That's and weird. That, that, not only is that like below the haunted mansion, I've heard that that like if you took, if, so if I could take that picture and if I could look up, you would see people going around you, around the Madame Leota room. You are not under the Madame Leota room. You are in it, just down below the track. Right, exactly. If you were to drop it, it would. You're, if you dropped a phone during that scene, I think it would fall about ten feet. Wow. Uh, now and it would I, land on part, the Yeti head. Right. Exactly. <laughs> No one can tell the difference because of how mangled those things are. That remember when I said about the rat? Yeah. yeah. How I could see down in. Okay. They showed me yeah, had, a, so, had a rat experience on the had a rat on the experience haunted on the mansion. mansion. There was a rat down there. A real one. It, it, well, yeah, they stopped the ride, and um, and and some an engineer popped out of nowhere and just was showing a flashlight under the car under the doom buggy in front of me, and he was like, "Oh, it's a rat." Apparently, the doom buggy in front of me ran over a rat, and it. Stopped all the mechanisms from moving. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Well, you probably couldn't have said that on any other ride, but since it's the haunted mansion, he could have. Yeah, like, yeah. you were literally. It was, that's he probably was part very of this. casual about it. Yeah, it was like, oh. it's a wrap. Um, yeah, but th- that's all true. Um, and then you know, even to the point of jumping onto the train from the people mover, like mm-hmm. you will have to shimmy off on out onto a ledge, but you can do it. Um, I don't know if you'd survive. I'd imagine you would. It's nothing's moving that quickly. You're not moving um, that fast, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you could do all that stuff. So that's all. That was all researched, and I mean, it's it's silly, and you probably can't literally do a lot of it. But the 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 environment is true. Um, it's laid true out like point. that. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah. Theoretically. Hypothetically. There are, yeah. There is a point in the in the trees where the train turns. Just enough to where if you were super fast and you hit it directly accurately, the conductor and the person driving the caboose uh, could not see you. Now, wow. other people would, but, you know, hopefully they speak Portuguese. You're right. Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> they have to just not care. Yeah. 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 And then uh, and that's uh, – I don't know if you have any questions on any of that, that the chase. The lightsaber fight got me. Oh, that, yeah. So that's, that's later on Chapter 8. So, oh, is uh, that the next one? Okay. Yeah, that's so. Chapter eight's in the jail, and then you know you, you meet Michael Eisner, and then <laughs> Michael Eisner and Bob Iger have a lightsaber fight. A lightsaber fight. I did not see that coming either. It, 
it was it really it was it was very surprising and it did keep me guessing so it was it was a lot of fun but so that's where you start getting into the so then in chapter eight when you're talking to michael eisner is where you start getting into this um idea of change that we were talking about and then he's the one who says to you or to the reader the more the mere pursuit is progress even if if the result isn't perfect so you put those words into michael eisner's mouth or is that a quote he didn't actually say that somewhere else did he um oh most of what michael eisner said are his words are his Uh, words okay yeah so if you go to the acknowledgments there's a there's a blurb about how the michael eisner scenes were written i see um so the acknowledgments have basically well basically what those scenes are are in his book um work in progress okay um and I and I forget what copy I sent you. What revision? I, I imagine it's still, it's in there. Um, it might not be in the acknowledgments in the specific is. revision. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially, the, the his book. He wrote a book in the late '90s called Work in Progress, and it's all about his business mantra and the way he ran Disney and what happened in Euro Disneyland and what happened with Disney's America. And it's a really great read for anyone that's interested in that time period, because um, you really just get to hear it straight from Michael Eisner's perspective. Um, I would urge you to go look at other people's perspectives um Mm -hmm. but you get it to hear just from his um and so a lot of what he says in that scene with uh the reader and me um is he he actually said in his book or in in keynote speeches that i watched Mm -hmm. um and so i'm not sure whether that i think that line might have been a supplemental line um where it said the the mere pursuit, but I think it was preceded and followed by direct quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, if it's sound, because the, if the, I'm, I forget exactly, um, the mere pursuit is progress. That was probably me finishing that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, but his sentiments and his opinions and all of that is real. And I put in the back of the book, you know, this could have changed. It's been 20 years, but I try to get it to as accurate and as true as Michael Eisner would have said to you should he have been there and a lot of it is just direct quotes you know were jumbled around to fit the paragraph that he's speaking in and i think that's probably a safe bet that that he would he would really think something like that because you know the changes that he made you know are some of the ones that were jarring you know but and and any ceo is going to think that what he's doing is the best thing you know they're not just closing things just you know for fun you know, just because he feels like he wants to close it for the most part there. It's, it's part of the business model. It's, you know, unfortunately sometimes saving money, whatever it is, you know, they are trying to make progress in one way or another. Yeah. It's a, uh, and yeah, and that's, they, they think they are, they're trying to make commercial progress, um, like financial progress. Uh, very few times. I mean, Michael Eisner always been about, Money first, and let's we make money by creating art, and I th- I think that's also in the book, uh, is in this one. It's also in his a lot. Is just the idea of like yes, we we do make money, and that's one of his most famous. He sent that memo while he was at Paramount that he's quoted all the time. It's misquoted all the time, where he said we only have an obligation to make money. We don't have an obligation to history or anything. He actually goes on to say, but we make when we make money, we will hopefully make art and history and this and this and this. And so, um, you know, Michael Eisner's words in the book are very true to what he thinks. And then afterwards, you know, I reflect on it and I'm not resolved on change in that way. I don't agree with a lot of what I put in the book of Michael Eisner's thoughts. Like Mm -hmm. personally, um, I don't think that that is always productive. I think it's productive from a limited idea standpoint. I don't believe that, uh, change in and of itself is progress. 
Um, and so, and that's kind of where I land at the end of the book. I'm unresolved on it. Like I am in real life. I don't know what that is, um, or how that, mm. de- how that is, um, how to deal with it at, completely. Um, and so yeah, that's a large part of the book, but the, the main message of the book comes at the very like last two paragraphs, um, where I talk about, you know, like just because like change is maybe not progress, but it's going to happen. Um, and you can't stop it. And so you got to go experience things before they become defunct kind of things. Um, and so that, that's the main, you know, message that I try to drive home. And I like how you make it easier for a reader to go and experience these things, I think, more fully than they would otherwise. You're more likely to look for how this, to appreciate it as art than I am anyway, more likely to appreciate this stuff as art than as just a thrill ride or, you know, as just a, a boat ride. And I think that's I think that's important, especially to the like you say to keep the because like the twenty thousand leagues in the sea, uh, under the sea for instance will live on in my memory and I'll tell the stories I was convinced it was a real submarine that went underwater and nobody <laughs> could tell me otherwise when I was eight I'll, I'll never forget that so it's it may be it may not exist there anymore but it's it's a part of me forever yeah it's uh it's 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 um. Well, that's a great example because that, well, that ride fooled people, you know, and thinking they were actually going underwater. You weren't actually going under anything. You weren't even actually going down at all ever. No. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, that's art and that's, and that's really difficult to do. That's more than just engineering, right? Um, like it's an illusion to a point, but it's also an, it's more than an illusion. So a magician performs illusions. The illusions aren't what you go to Disney to see, you go to Disney for the experience and the experience is just in a, is a, is a series of illusions put together um, to mean something more. And it's contextualizing uh, these illusions into stories. Cause at the end of the day, if you, if you break it into pieces, every single part of a Disney attraction or a universal attraction or any theme park attraction, that's not a coaster. Like if it's not the engineering side of how the ride operates, it's an illusion. Animatronics are an illusion of lifelike movement. You know, um, a, a lot of different special effects, projections, you know, screens, those are illusions of movement. Um, but with those illusions tell stories. And so that's, um, and it does need to be looked at as an art form. And that's been my main uh, goals to advocate for this as an art form that needs to be taken more seriously than it is. And so I, then that's kind of, uh, you know, a large part of the book. Um, and then also dealing with what that means if, when you do consider it an art form, you know, what happens to it after, uh, after mm. the company that owns it is done with it. And what, what, if you could bring one defunct attraction back in the Magic Kingdom, what would it be? In the Magic Kingdom, um, I would say extraterrestrial, um, just because of all the different facets of that ride, um, all the different avenue, all the different kind of, you know, um, all the different things with it, and it's so po- it was so popular, um, so popular now, I should say, with the cult following. Um, but I probably would have to say, if I really thought one should come back, it's the Mickey Mouse review, um, with updated animatronics, um, with updated characters, you know, that, that would be interesting to see. Um, because that is such a fluid idea for a ride. I mean, right now we have Mickey's Filler Magic, um, which is, you know, like a spiritual successor to the Mickey Mouse review, but it really doesn't do a good job, in my opinion. I mean, it's like he, he Donald flying through the Disney Renaissance films and some classic ones. Um, but I think it, it, you could a lot better, um, utilize the Mickey Mouse review and that would fit better into fantasy land with all the fantasy characters putting on a musical review in animatronic form um, than 
honestly, extraterrestrial would if you brought it back and put it into the Tomorrowland. Because it'd be weird to have this crazy, um, terrifying alien attraction across the street from Monsters Inc. Lab 4. Yeah. Um, right. So. It Tomorrowland's just gotten campy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't fit the vibe anymore. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I, I would love to see the old Mickey Mouse review. I, I don't think I ever did, honestly. I, I don't remember it. So it would be great to see. Well, the, uh, if you go and watch the camcorder footage, it is creepy because not only uh-huh. those animatronics really slow moving, but as I mentioned in the book, there was a huge issue yeah. with the, uh, the way the queue was laid out. Mm-hmm. And that it only, I think it only held like 300 people, but the theater had held 500. 500. So every, mm-hmm. every showing was super empty. And like, oh, that's and so, weird. Yeah, yeah. So like you were, it was, there was always like 200 seats that weren't there, which makes it really awkward. I mean, imagine going to the Country Bear Jamboree and it's like just you and it's dark. <laughs> the Country Bear Jamboree is a very like, it's a, it's, the Country Bear Jamboree is a bad example because it's, it's not as big as the Mickey Mouse review was as far as the amount of animatronics that were on stage. And also the lighting is a lot brighter mm-hmm. because you also need to see um, the Buff and Max and the other one that I can't think of for some reason right now, uh, Melvin, I think that's his name, Buff, Max, that's Melvin. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you also need to see them doing their thing, right? <laughs> um, so, but the Mickey Mouse review, it was so, there was so much of like, okay, we got to project this, we got to do this, we got to... Uh, divert your attention from one side of the stage to the other by literally just turning off a light versus versus the country where jamboree which is close the curtain turn the uh try the the, yeah the the table the turntable or whatever yeah Yeah, the 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 the, the turntable that's split into three yeah Uh, yeah and so that is and it's creepy if if you're the only one there it's like they're putting on a show just for you but they're not responding to you it's it's very creepy um but yeah so that's like solo progress it's Almost, not, it's yeah. not unusual to go in there and be the only family in there. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, I love that attraction. Though. I do too. And, uh, and that one, it can get a little creepy if you can see through the, uh, the fabric as The scrims, yeah. yeah. That's, that's when it gets a little bit eerie. Yeah. Yeah, cause you can kind of see the shadow of it turning, yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing a Chuck E. Cheese at night. It's, it's just creepy. Oh. oh. <laughs> that's a nightmare story there. My uh, parents, when they were in high school, were on the Carousel of Progress at the World's Fair. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so going on it with them is fun because they saw it in New York at the World's Fair. That was one of the things they did. But it's it's because that's one of the few, like, real authentic pieces of Walt Disney himself, the person, that's there. In the Magic Kingdom? In the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, I think that's like his only attraction. I think I it is. Um, in the Magic Kingdom, I should say, because he didn't touch any of those attractions now the magic kingdom was a and i'm sure they moved a few things over but the magic kingdom was a extension uh i mean a lot of the magic kingdom's attractions are walt's ideas that the technology didn't have and i think i mentioned that every time that comes up in the book you know yeah. the country bear jamboree was supposed to go into mineral king mm-hmm. um, mickey mouse review was him being like i want all those characters on stage at the same time and mm-hmm. then there's one more and I'm, it's another animatronic oh hall of presidents he's like i want all the presidents mm-hmm. um together and so he just said the oh and space mountain space mountain was also let's build this he actually worked on uh that like and so did on the country bear jamboree they actually let's get this to the point that it's ready um but by the time he passed the technology wasn't there but you know another less than a decade space mountain was there and then by the time less than i mean five years after he died it was country bear hall of presidents and uh, mickey mouse review was there so 
Only you could have seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the one takeaway you'd like get pe- like people to get from your book? Uh, I probably the end message of just uh, yeah, I give kind of a like a call to action of just you know go out and experience the world. Um, this is like a very I mean the world right now every, whether you know it's you're watching the news or whether you're just living your daily life. There's so much uh, you know negativity and so much um, it's just not a very bright environment anymore um as far as the public perception to the world um and well i you know i delve deep into cynicism um for humor purposes on i truly do want an optimistic approach to everything and even though we live in a world that's like it's very cloudy and it just seems like oh everything's wrong everybody's arguing there are still brilliant artists making brilliant pieces of work and making things for the innocent whether it's in children or in all of us and the children inside all of us and, you know, playing to innocence. Um, I, I wrote in depth about, and this didn't make it into the cut of the book about this idea that, uh, basically Disney is one of the most criticized companies in the history of the world. Um, maybe the most criticized company in the history of the world. And I, I, of course, I don't even know how you would go to measure that, but Disney gets a lot of flack. And my theory is because the, uh, People can't process innocence and people can't process pure purity. Um, and not to say that Disney was ever pure or was ever completely innocent, like not the man, the, the company. Um, but you know, they're not doing things to nearly the extent of big oil tycoons, you know, all these other things. I mean, at the end of the day, they're making movies and they're making theme parks. They're not, you know, doing all these crazy things that your big capitalist organizations are, but they still are criticized more than anything because they deal with innocence and they deal with children. And it's the same reason that you probably heard how many, how many rumors have you heard about Barney the dinosaur? Oh, the guy who played them was arrested on screen because he was on crack. Or Barney the Dinosaur yelled a, yelled a cuss word because someone stepped on his tail, even though he doesn't have a tail. And so how would he feel <laughs> if someone stepped on his tail? Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, but you hear these things. Why? Is it because they happened? No. Is it because something similar happened? Absolutely not. You hear these things because if it's it's all playground rumors, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you and people love playground rumors. Oh, did you know Walt Disney was an anti-Semite? Really? Because every Jewish person that w- worked around him have debunked these claims over and over again. It's like we, as a society, we love the idea of just tearing apart all of these, um, all of the innocence we still have. And so the call to action at the end of the book is, you know, people are creating these things and playing to innocence and playing to kindness and playing to story and playing to just, you know, an experience that doesn't have to have all the baggage of the real world. They're trying to, grab you and take you out of the real world and like show you um, a beautiful story or something similar. And so you have to go experience that because you don't know how long that specific one is going to be around. So you have to go out. You have to, even though everything seems terrible, sometimes go out, experience the, the levity and the escapism that people have created for you before that's gone. And so that's the call to action at the end of the book. And so that's probably what I want the biggest takeaway to be, even though even with all the change and how we don't really resolve that, um, it's definitely the the just go experience stuff before it gets defunct. That's a great place to leave it, I think. As you say, I want to go to Disney World now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. 
Mouse Life's theme music provided by Shadows of Life.